It's good to be with you guys this morning. All right, we are going to look at Matthew 5, 7. Matthew 5, 7. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are uh, white and blue paperback Bibles on the, on the bench back there, or you could just look Matthew 5, 7 up on your phone. Google, we'll pull that up uh, speedily, I'm sure. Uh, or you could just look over the shoulder of your neighbor uh, if they have a Bible. Um, and we're going to look at Matthew 5, 7. I want to say something about the Connect card really quick. Uh, so you didn't receive a Connect card when you walked in this morning, um, <clears throat> but there are Connect cards on this table back here and in the welcome table out uh, in the lobby, and there are connect cards, uh, like digital connect cards that you can fill out on our website. If you just go to uh, veritasdayton.org um, and then go to um, one of the tabs there that has our connect card on it and just fill that out, that is a good way for us to get to know you, know who you are, uh, know how we can get in touch with you, how we can get you connected with what God is doing here in our church family. And so we'd love to be able to uh, maybe grab a cup of coffee with you, grab lunch with you, something along those lines, maybe have you over for dinner uh, and, and talk with you and, and spend some time with you and get to know you a little bit. There's also a space for prayer requests on there. Uh, we would count an honor and a joy to be able to pray for you this week. So, uh, so you could just uh, include uh, in the Connect card, just jot some, some ways that we can be praying for you down in the Connect card. We'd, we'd love to, to be able to pray for you this week. All right, <clears throat> so uh, we're looking at uh, Matthew 5, verse 7, as we continue in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're slowly working our way one by one through what's called the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. Uh, and, and this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, and the Beatitudes in particular, are, are Jesus's invitation into the happy and flourishing life. Uh, in the Beatitudes, he uses this word translated as blessed over and over again. It's actually the Greek word makarios, uh, which is a word that means happy. It means blessed. It means flourishing. It's a congratulatory term. Uh, it's a word that can be used to describe someone who is in a state of well-being, a state of human flourishing. Uh, and so we've said this over and over again, that the Beatitudes are Jesus's congratulatory descriptions of those living the good life that also invite us into their way of life. So they're not blessings, they're congratulatory descriptions, and they're not commands, they are invitations into the good life. And we've also seen that these, these descriptions of the good and happy and flourishing life they're not what you would expect. They are upside down, aren't they? We, we've seen that, that the poor in spirit, those who have recognized and owned and felt their spiritual nothingness before God, are happier, are blessed. The, the mourning, those who are longing for the world to be put right, who are miserable because of their sin and their suffering and the suffering of this world. The meek, those, those who are often stepped on, those who are wronged but don't return sin with sin, don't return uh, sin with violence and vengeance. They are living the good life. Those who hunger and thirst, those who are lacking and hunger and thirst for God's will to be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven, they are to be congratulated. 
As Danny walked us through last week, we saw the peacemakers. The peacemakers are described by Jesus as being possessors of happiness and human flourishing. Peacemakers, those who have been wronged, but responded not with vengeance and violence and begrudging those who wronged them. Rather, their response is to do peace, to make peace, to live peaceably with all so, so far as it depends on them. These are not what the world would typically call happiness. Beatitudes, they fly in the face of what is typically considered happiness. And similarly, our beatitude this morning, the merciful, the merciful, Jesus says, are living the good life. They are happy. They are flourishing. They are blessed. The merciful are those who forgive those who wrong them and who take upon themselves the miseries of others. They are happy, he says. Now, pop psychology would tell us that in order to be truly happy, you actually need to remove people from your life that require too much from you. You know, those who sin against you, those who require mercy from you, those who require peacemaking from you, those who require you to sacrifice in order to relieve them of the troubles of their life, those are the kind of people that you should cut off and remove from your life. You know, it's not good for your emotional health that you should put others in your life who, who, uh, that require such things from you. And that's true. You know, that is, if you're only concerned with a sort of transient happiness. If you're only concerned about living a life of sort of transient happiness, transient happiness being like fleeting feelings of pleasure based on good circumstances and ease in life. But you know, Jesus, Jesus isn't as much concerned about our transient happiness. You know, transient happiness is easy to find anyways. You could go get a box of Bill's Donuts and have transient happiness like now. But Jesus is interested in giving us not just transient happiness, but transcendent happiness. He's talking about a deep and satisfied life, a life of meaning and purpose and virtue, a life of possessing that which is unshakable and unchangeable. He's talking about life lived in the kingdom of God. A kind of joy that can't be taken away because of momentary misery and suffering. A joy that can't be taken away from you even in the face of deep loss and persecution and hunger and thirst. As we see in our beatitude this morning, a kind of happiness that, that only comes from being a recipient of the mercy of God. Which is a kind of happiness that causes you to look in the face of someone who has sinned against you grievously and to forgive them from your heart. It's a kind of happiness which causes you to look at the suffering of your neighbor and to gladly join them in their misery in order that you might in some way relieve them. That's what it means to be merciful. And Jesus says that the merciful, they are blessed happy, they're flourishing because they are recipients of the mercy of God. So let's look at God's word together this morning. We're going to read the Beatitudes, and we'll read Matthew 5, 3 through 5, 10, and we'll look particularly this morning at Matthew 5, 7, as we've already said. Hear God's word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, would you bless the reading and proclamation of your word this morning with the presence and power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So look with me at what the merciful are, what the merciful do, and what the merciful receive. What the merciful are, what the merciful do, and what the merciful receive. First, what the merciful are. What are the merciful? Uh, well, duh, they're, they're merciful. Uh, but again, we, we need to understand here that Jesus is not talking about a sort of natural personality trait. He's not just talking about someone who's just kind of naturally an easygoing, kind of lenient person. Uh, the kingdom of God, that which Jesus is describing and declaring in the Sermon on the Mount, is not a kingdom that comes and finds the kind of people that are worthy of it, okay? It's not as if Jesus is like a headhunter for the kingdom of God coming to earth to find people worthy of God's kingdom. That's not what's going on. Rather, in bringing the kingdom of God, Jesus is finding the unworthy, he's finding the depraved, the broken, and he's giving them the kingdom of God, which leads to a transformed life. He has come to give the transformative grace and power of the kingdom of God so that people, his people, are forgiven and made new from the inside out. So you, you see the Beatitudes, they're not like a list of different kinds of people that are accepted into the kingdom of God. They're, they're not prerequisites for entering into the kingdom of God. Rather, they are a description of those who are already kingdom citizens. Collectively, these Beatitudes describe disciples of, of Jesus. They describe the citizens of the kingdom of God. Like Each one is like a brushstroke on a canvas that together, when you step back when it's finished, it makes up a portrait of a disciple of Jesus. Jesus' disciples are poor in spirit. They recognize their lack of worthiness before God, and they cast themselves entirely on His grace for salvation. They are mourning because they're longing for the kingdom of God to come in fullness in their lives and in this world. They're meek because they entrust final and ultimate judgment to their God and King. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, last week we saw Danny bring us through that they are, the disciples of Jesus are peace doers. They're peacemakers, seeking to live peaceably with all so far as it depends on them. And this week we see another brushstroke. Jesus' disciples are merciful. And what does it mean to be merciful? To be full of mercy, mercy full. Well, to be merciful means to show regard and compassion for those in misery and suffering, for the misery and suffering of others. And the merciful person is a person who, who not only thinks about and feels for the, the miserable and suffering, but they, they act in order to try to relieve the miserable and suffering of their misery and suffering. Mercy is it's kind of a, a sibling to grace. 
Sometimes we can tend to use these words interchangeably, and they're, they're really closely related, but we might be able to nuance them a bit differently. So grace is kindness in relation to someone's guilt, and mercy is kindness in relation to someone's suffering. Uh, grace sees guilt and provides better than what the guilty deserve. Mercy sees suffering and seeks to provide relief. Mercy is kindness in relation to the suffering of others. And obviously, this is precisely what we have received in Christ. So here, Christ is calling those of us who have received the grace and mercy of God in Christ to, in turn, embody that toward others. And so realize here, he's not talking about those who are just kind of naturally easygoing. He's not talking about lenient people with personalities that just sort of lean toward being lenient. He's talking about those who have received the supernatural change of the kingdom of God. It's part of receiving the new heart. It's part of being a new creation in Christ. When we receive the new birth, we go from being people who are more self-interested and callous toward our neighbor to being those who are concerned and compassionate about the suffering and misery of others. We become merciful. And and realize, it's not primarily (coughs) about what we do, it's primarily what we are. It's a disposition, it's an attitude, a habit. Don't skip over that, that Jesus calls his disciples the merciful. Okay, like, now we're gonna talk about what the merciful do here in a few moments, but don't skip over the fact that Jesus calls his disciples the merciful. Understand, it's something you are before it's something you do. A British pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, points this out helpfully. He, he once said, the Christian gospel places all its primary emphasis on being rather than doing. <coughs> in the first instance, its main stress is on what you do on what you and I essentially are rather than what we do, rather, sorry. In the first instance, its main stress is on what you and I are essentially rather than what we do. It's something you are before it's something you do. We need to be Christians before we act like Christians, in other words. Indeed, what we do proceeds from what we are. We can talk all day about what we need to do But unless you've received the new birth and the arrival of the kingdom of God within, you won't do it. You can't. Identity always precedes action. You must be merciful before you do mercy. In order to be merciful, you must be transformed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You need to, in order to have a merciful disposition and attitude and character and habit, you must find your identity in the merciful God who saves you. And acts of mercy are an outcome of that. So what Jesus is saying is is, is that by being merciful, he's not saying that by being merciful we can win or merit or deserve the mercy of God. No, he's saying that we as his disciples and, and citizens of his kingdom, we are merciful in character and disposition as those who have received mercy. We act out of what he has now made us. This is what the merciful are. But then the, the question, what do the merciful do? What what, what do the merciful do? How can we do mercy? Which brings us to the next part, what the merciful do. Well, since mercy means kindness in relation to the, the suffering of others, we can conclude that those who are merciful are those who relieve suffering 
when they can and should, when they see it and they can and they should. And this is, this is a radical thing if you stop to think about it. It's a radical thing. Like, think about it. The, the Beatitudes reveal that disciples of Jesus are people with a great deal of troubles already. We've already seen disciples of Jesus. They're those who mourn. We see the last Beatitude says that the disciples of Jesus are a persecuted people. They're reviled and gossiped about and spoken about in unfair and harsh ways. The life of a disciple of Jesus is filled with trouble and hardship. But what's more is that disciples of Jesus also take on the troubles and hardship of others. I love what John Calvin said about this Beatitude. This is a quote in your bulletin. He, he wrote concerning this beatitude. He said, They are blessed who are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but also take on other people's, to help them in their distress, freely joining them in their time of trial, and, as it were, to get right into their situation, that they may gladly expend themselves on their assistance. And similarly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about Jesus' disciples, as if their own needs and own distress were not enough, they take upon themselves the distress and humiliation and sin of others. And Bonhoeffer himself, he knew the cost of such mercy. If you were to read one of the popular biographies about Bonhoeffer, there he is. I, I love this. It's like he's posing. But if you were to read one of the popular biographies about Bonhoeffer, uh, you would find that he grew up um, in a wealthy and well-to-do family in Germany prior to the rise of Hitler. And as time went on, though, Hitler and his Nazi regime began to slowly rise to power, and progressively things grew worse and worse in Germany. In the midst of it all, though, Bonhoeffer, you know, he was a man who, when Hitler came to power, he would have been entirely safe from arrests and concentration camps and death if he just minded his own business. And in fact, he, he didn't even have to stay in Germany. He traveled a lot, and, and as things grew progressively worse, he was in London for a time, and he spent quite a bit of time in New York City. And at one point in time, he was in New York City, and he saw that things back home were progressively growing worse and worse and worse. He was living a quiet life there, teaching theology at a university, traveling and as an itinerant preacher, but he grew increasingly disturbed and, and concerned about the welfare of those in his home country. And so everyone thought he was crazy, but he decided to go back to Germany and take upon himself the troubles of his disabled neighbors and his Jewish neighbors and all those who were being arrested and enslaved and killed. And he went back, he, he pastored churches filled with the mentally and physically disabled there. He sought to protect them and, and, and his Jewish neighbors from being found out and arrested. He plotted with the underground movements to overthrow Hitler and his regime, and, and eventually Bonhoeffer was found out because of all this. And he was arrested, and he went from concentration camp to concentration camp for a little while, and eventually... He was hung by his neck with a piano wire just weeks before the Allied forces freed his concentration camp. You see, 
His own needs and his distress were not enough. He sought to take on those of others. He got right into their situation. He got right into their situation, and he gladly spent himself on his neighbor's assistance. What about us? What, is it, what does it look like for us to do mercy? Maybe it doesn't look like for us to be hung by a piano wire in a concentration camp, but in our day-to-day, what does it look like for us to do mercy? How, how can we take on the troubles of others to get right into their situation and gladly spend ourselves on their assistance, as, so, as it was so eloquently put by Calvin? How can we relieve the suffering? Well, first, Matthew's gospel shows us that we relieve the suffering through acts of forgiveness. And part of what it necessarily means to be merciful is to be forgiving, to forgive those who have wronged us and sinned against us when they ask for forgiveness. The merciful relieve the weight and suffering of the guilty by freely forgiving them. And Jesus actually tells a parable about this later in Matthew 18 that sort of expands and and shows us and applies what it means to be merciful. It's a story about a great king who one day decides to settle his accounts with his servants. And he had loaned money to a number of servants, and so he went to settle his accounts, and, and he starts to call his servants in, get everything settled, and, and one servant owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. That's like a, equivalent to like $6 million today. It's a lot of money. It's like incalculable. It'd be an impossible debt for him to pay. And so the servant falls to his knees, and he begs the king to be patient and let him try to pay off the debt. And out of compassion and pity, out of mercy, the king forgives the debt entirely and lets the servant go free. However, after this, the the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about $12,000 today, nowhere compared to six million. And he told his fellow servant to to pay pay me what you owe me, he says. And he seizes him and he starts choking him. And the fellow servant starts pleading and begging for patience and mercy, but the forgiven servant refused, and he put his fellow servants in prison until the debt was paid. Several other of the servants of the king saw this, and they were in distress, so they went to the king, and they told him about what had happened. And so the king calls this forgiven servant to come in, and the king said to him, Matthew 18, 32, he says, "'You wicked servant!' I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Jesus then concludes the parable saying, "In, in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. You see, the merciful forgive because they've been forgiven. And they show mercy because they've been given mercy. Does that describe you? Are you, are you merciful? Do you forgive others from the heart? Do you forgive your spouse? Or, or when an argument ensues, do you bring their former sins back up to them? Do you forgive your parents for the wrongs incurred while growing up? Or or do you secretly and silently nurse bitterness 
and your heart toward them? Do you forgive your fellow church members or do you simply write them off and give up on having meaningful and deep relationships with them? As Christians, we, we, we are those who have been forgiven of our incalculable debt by God, a debt we incurred ourselves but never could have paid ourselves. We have been forgiven fully, freely, entirely, amazingly, unfathomably forgiven. And so we forgive. We have received mercy, and so we show mercy. A second, we do mercy by relieving suffering through acts of compassion and charity. When we see our neighbors in misery and suffering, we seek to relieve their suffering. We give drink to the thirsty and food to the hungry. We visit the imprisoned and clothe the naked. We care for the sick and welcome the stranger and the orphaned and the widowed. We fix roofs, give feminine hygiene products to tornado victims. We invite the single mom over for dinner and offer a listening ear to those who are mourning. We see our neighbors in distress, in misery, in suffering. We seek to relieve them. Another parable of Jesus displays doing mercy in this way. A parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. In Luke 10, Jesus is talking with a lawyer. And the lawyer asks Jesus what he ought to do. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus, like a good Jewish teacher, he repeats the summary of the law. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer, Luke 10 says, seeking to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. They were probably on their way to the temple. If they touched a dead body, and this man he looked dead. If they touched a dead body, then they'd be unclean, and they'd have to go through all of these inconvenient ceremonial rites. And so, eh. but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus concludes, he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see how the Samaritan relieved the suffering of his neighbor through acts of compassion and charity. Do you see how the good Samaritan felt compassion? He didn't just feel compassion. Mercy doesn't just feel pity and compassion for those in suffering, but he reached out and he acted on his compassion. He picked up the man 
and bounded his wounds. He used expensive oil and wine. He put him on his animal. He paid for his stay at the inn. He got right into his miserable situation. He freely joined him in his time of trial in order to relieve him of his distress. <coughs> Let me ask you, are you involved in any way in the troubles of the, miser- of the miserable and suffering? Like today, it's, it's easy for us to, to order our lives in such a way that, that we are completely removed from the misery and troubles of others. We can live a safe, cushy life with our social media and our TVs and our air conditioning so that we don't even have to see the misery and suffering of our neighbors around us. But Christ is beckoning us into another way of life. He's beckoning us to enter into the misery of our neighbors, to touch the lives of the wounded and broken, to get right into their situation and gladly spend ourselves and expend ourselves on their assistance. He's beckoning us to forgive liberally and freely. He's beckoning us to to be merciful and to do mercy, and he's telling us that this is the path to true happiness and blessing. This is the path to true happiness, because his people are not only givers of mercy, they're also receivers of mercy. This brings us lastly to what the merciful receive, the merciful receive. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now understand, this is not a tit-for-tat kind of thing. It's not like as if at the end of the age when we face Jesus at the final judgment, we're going to come up to him and he's going to go, all right, let me look at the chart here. Let's see if you were a merciful person. You're merciful, go on in. You're good. It's not what he's talking about here. If, if, if God's mercy at all depends on your being merciful, then it ceases to be mercy. It ceases to be mercy if you deserve it. That would be justice then. And so it's important for us to remember who the merciful are. They are God's kingdom citizens and Christ's disciples. They are those who have repented and trusted in Christ and received this new identity that we were just talking about a few moments ago in Christ. And their being merciful is actually the fruit of that transformation that Christ has given us in the Holy Spirit. But then there's also a future mercy spoken of here that the merciful look forward to, which leads them to a life of happiness and flourishing. Now, you you may have noticed that the Beatitudes, they're they're future-oriented statements. They're eschatologically focused statements, which means they have an eye toward the coming judgment and the new heaven and the new earth and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And the same is true of this beatitude here. The the merciful will continue to be objects of divine mercy for all of eternity. When we face final judgment, God's mercies are going to pile high. There's coming a day when Christ will return to exercise his righteous judgment on the earth. And on that day, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he's, he's going to judge each and every single one of us. And to the malicious, to the unforgiving, to those who were inflictors of suffering and misery, to those who remained aloof and indifferent to their suffering of their neighbors, he will say, Matthew 25, 41, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But to his disciples, to those who have received this transformational work of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God, 
to those who owned their poverty of spirit and threw themselves entirely on the mercy of Christ, to those who mourned over their sin and the brokenness of this world, to those who didn't inflict misery and pain, but instead were meek and mild, to those who hungered and thirsted for righteousness and longed for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, to those who were merciful because they were born of a merciful God. He will say, Matthew 25, 34, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. In other words, Jesus is saying that when you relieve the suffering and miserable, it's as if you did it for Jesus, as if you were relieving Jesus of his misery and suffering. How remarkable is that? It's like when you look at the face of one who is suffering and miserable, it's like you're looking into the face of your Savior. When you invite children from, say, families into your home, you're inviting Jesus into your home. When you give a bottle of water and a hamburger to someone whose home has just been destroyed by a tornado, you're giving that bottle of water and hamburger to Jesus. When you comfort your crying child in the middle of the night, you're comforting Jesus. When you look into the face of the suffering and miserable and troubled, you're looking into the face of Jesus. How could you turn away? How could you distance yourself and remain aloof to his sufferings? Especially when he's been so kind and so merciful to us. Don't miss it. Christ is the merciful one. Christ didn't remain aloof and distant to us in our distress and misery and suffering. As John Calvin said, we looked at earlier, the merciful take on other people's troubles and help them in their distress and freely join them in their time of trial, get right into their situation that they may gladly expend themselves on their assistance. Isn't that exactly what Christ has done? That's exactly what he's done for you. He didn't remain distant and aloof. He stepped into the life of common humanity. He took on the troubles of humanity. He took on the troubles of poverty, of a declining and tired body, of hunger and thirst. He took on the troubles of strained family dynamics. He took on the troubles of sadness and anxiety. He took on the troubles of pain and suffering in his body. But what's more is he didn't just take on your humanity, he took your sin upon himself. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin. He became sin. He became an object of the wrath of God. And he took on the wrath of God so that we might be objects of God's mercy. He took on torture and death in order to relieve us of life without God. He took on crucifixion and death in order to relieve us of an eternity of eternal fire fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus freely joined us in our trials. He got right into our situation. He took on the fiery of judgment of God on the cross and he gladly expended himself on our assistance. That is extravagant, lavish, exorbitant, unimaginable, staggering mercy. 
Look at him. Look at that. He's the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Your grief. Look at him as the crucified and suffering servant. He's the wounded and slain king. Christ then, therefore, is the mercy of God. And therefore, he is our happiness. He's the reason we are recipients of the mercy of God. The merciful are happy and blessed because they are and will be recipients of God's extravagant mercy in Christ Jesus forever. And therefore, we are merciful. We are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Father, would you seal this word upon our hearts? Would you help us? Would you cause us to be, not just do, but to be the merciful? And to, as fruit of that, to lavishly and liberally forgive those who wrong us. And to also join our neighbors in their suffering and misery that we might gladly expend ourselves on their assistance. Help us to be the merciful, Lord, and we look forward to the return of Jesus when we will be revealed in eternal recipients of the mercy of Christ forever and ever. We want that day to come quickly, and so we pray in Jesus' name that it would. Amen.